that's not going to work. My joke That'll is work. not going <laughs> <joke's not> <laughs> to fly unless I do it right. All right, here we go. Okay, there's a joke. Today is Friday, April 17th, 2015, and this is the <laughs> <Same> podcast. <Yay! laughs> okay, so <laughs> finding new and creative ways to introduce the show is difficult, but um, so it goes, so it goes. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the Vegas Gang podcast for April 2015-ish. I hope everybody <laughs> paid their taxes. Um, happy day. It's tax week here in the United States of America. Um, so that's always fun. I, um, I'm sort of a tax procrastinator. Like I, I pretty much always file like the day or two before the deadline. I just never get around to it until the end. Um, but I did get it done. So hopefully you guys are all squared away as well. Yes. Good. Good, good. Chuck didn't say anything, so I'm doing <laughs> I don't know. I have to call the accountant. I think okay. it's done. But he right. usually does extensions. He extends and yeah, extends. Yeah. And extends. Right. Primarily, I think, for his own schedule. Otherwise, he has a zillion things to do. So. Which makes sense. And there's no, you know, the IRS lets you do that as long as you pay anything that you might owe up front. Yeah. They don't care. They're fine with it. Um, cool. Well, let's not talk about taxes for too long. Uh, but I would like to start off with some announce announcementation announcementations about the Vimpf. Uh, the Vegas Internet Mafia family picnic is coming to your ear holes in October, uh, the sixteenth, seventeenth, and eighteenth. Um, so since we last met, we have had some announcements, uh, and there's some more announcements to come. So how about? Uh, we'll talk about what we've announced so far, which um, we have uh, through some some new folks that are going to be participating in the event this year in different capacities. We have been starting to talk about uh, a new Sunday Sunday event on the 18th, which is going to feature Sunday Sunday Sunday, which is going to feature um, some other really great podcasts that yes. you may you may have heard, or and if not, you should you should go out and and give a listen. Um, Chuck, do you want to talk about what we're planning? I know that we haven't really talked, we haven't fully fleshed it out, but what, what do people know? Well, uh, what we know so far is that we're going to have another, uh, afternoon event on Sunday, 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 which is the 18th of October, I believe. Uh, uh-huh. and we've invited some friends of ours to, to, who have shows and whatnot to, uh, present them in a... Atmosphere kind of like the main event, but not exactly. This will be a very different event. And uh, we've got the great folks at the Denton, Dallas, and Beyond podcast will be joining us. You guys probably, if you've been the last couple of years, you've met these guys. They're the hecklers who sit in the front (laughs) row. And uh, they're a lot of fun. Great, great folks. Uh, their, Their show is cool whether you like Dallas, Denton, local news, or you just like to travel, but but they always do periodically shows because they go to Vegas a bunch. So uh, they're great friends of ours. We love those guys. So guys and gal. Uh, so we're really excited to have them. And also, uh, you can bet on that. Which, if you haven't listened to, you really, really, really should. These these cats, they know they're they know they're gambling. And they mm-hmm. love to talk about it. Yep. And down to the detail, it's like the Vegas gang for for gambling. Like these guys get yes. down to the details of comps mm-hmm. and how everything works. It's a great resource. And uh, Mark and Dr. Mike have uh, a fantastic rapport. It's really great listening to these guys talk to each other. So 
We're really, really happy to have them joining us as well. And we may have some other things to, to announce along those lines. But that's pretty much the crux of the Bix, Bix skit. Yeah, so the you can bet on that, guys. They were at uh, – they came, attended VIMP last year. And I yes. believe that's when they um, – one of the gentlemen won the infamous fire bet, which is like yeah. this incredible craps bet where like you – can't win unless you're blessed by the angels and um yes. he won and that yep. was just amazing so that maybe that good luck will trans translate to all of us this yep. time around but uh, we're super happy to have them involved and doing this new event we're overall really excited about vimph there's going to be uh, a lot of great stuff some stuff returning like the main event and the uh world series of satin casino jackets and there's going to be some new stuff like we're talking about here and 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 some other tidbits and um it's going to be great so october 16th 17th and 18th uh we will be announcing the host location on wednesday at 10 wednesday is the what if wednesday is the 22nd, 22nd. yeah at 10 16 a.m nevada standard time yes um, which is not a thing, but we have invented it. Yes. And uh, so be sure to tune in to the Twitters, yep. uh, the at Vimph account. Um, for those of you that want to know in advance, just uh, I'm going to tell you the secret location. It is. I can't believe you just told wow. me. Wow. I know. <laughs> oh my God. I had no idea. This, yeah. this is going to be so incredible. <laughs> that is so. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. If the, yeah. for those of you that that uh, yeah. yeah, for those of you that that didn't that didn't he didn't get it, we'll tune tune in on Wednesday and you'll get yeah. the full the full details. It took a lot to 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 pull this one off, man. I know. It's like I can't believe it. <laughs> um in addition to so that's Vimph. uh more to come on Wednesday and in the uh following weeks as we get things all set, but very excited. So go ahead and make sure we see you there. Um there's also a Vegas Internet Mafia side event, I believe, tomorrow. Is that right, Chuck? I'm going to go Correct. back to you for this. A Blurtism. So tell us about uh, Paul Blurt Wincop meetup. Exactly. That's the deal. So uh, the Paul Blart Mall Cop 2 sequel was shot at Win, And, of course, there's going to be all sorts of Win goofiness. So we figured, well, why not just uh, see if we can get everybody locally, globally, globally, globally get everybody to locally kind of get together wherever it is that you're at. So if you live in Chicago, whatever, you go to the movie theater in Chicago, you meet up with some other folks uh, to, to try and organize this thing. And uh, I don't know exactly where the word is. The word, some of it's out on the board, and I think it's on the 500 Facebook group too is – People are selecting theaters in their local cities and showtimes to basically go and meet up with each other and go see the movie and then laugh about it. I know nobody wants to go see this movie. It's like got zero on Rotten Tomatoes, I'm told by John H. But, uh, you know, it's it's win and you get to meet your buddies. So a nice Saturday evening with your vimpy friends. Why not? There you go. So that is going to be tomorrow. Uh, by the time you hear this show, it'll probably be this afternoon. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, just uh, put your, your Paul Blart mall cop hat on and, and get out there. So before we move on, though, I wanted to ask you guys, why do you think that Steve Wynn decided that he was going to allow them to shoot this movie there? Like, I, does, was one of the producers like his nephew or something? Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. I think part of it is Steve's self-deprecating streak. 
okay. which I think we've seen a lot of evidence of, you know, between the singing show tunes at the, on the conference call and a lot of the other stuff he does and says. He's, he kind of has this very big self-deprecating streak, so I guess... And this is just me guessing. Somebody said, oh, they want to make a, another Paul Blart movie here. And he's probably like, eh, what the hell? Why not? Yeah. I hope he said, who the fuck is Paul Blart? But, you know, maybe. <laughs> he, <laughs> might be a, he might be a devotee of the uh, genre. I don't know. I, he might I, be a real big fan. It's, it's very strange to me that this is, this is there. But, I, you know. It, I, the, the reason I kind of like it is because this is the kind of thing that would just send most branding people into an absolute rage. Like how could, oh my God, how can you do this? And it just shows Steve like doesn't really care. He just does what he wants to do, and he can do it because he's Steve Wynn. Right. True. True dad. You know, All right. Could you see them doing this at a Caesars property or an M- MGM property where the people who make these decisions aren't Steve Wynn and can't just say, whatever, you know, they're the vice president for brand or whatever. Yeah. Right. I, so the Ocean's Eleven thing, that deal to do the, do it at Bellagio was done. In my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, they made that deal bef- like before the company was sold. Like I think they arranged before, and it actually shot through the transition between uh, the sale. Um, so that one makes more sense to me than than something like Paul Blart. But hey, I <laughs> I am not a uh, I haven't seen the first movie, so maybe I'm missing out. Well, Steve has a little bit of a silly sense of humor, and it's possible he may have been advised by uh, young wards that it, <laughs> that it may be worthwhile, you know? And look, everybody else has had a movie recently, right? The Hangover so you, series and right. then the Last Vegas thing at Aria. Right. All those Ocean's Eleven, who knows, man? Maybe Steve's like, well, why not? Right. So, are you saying that like it's Michael Weaver or Nick Kissam or like big Paul Blart fans? Very, very possibly. Very okay. possibly. I I do like the subtle Dick Grayson reference there. His <laughs> youthful ward. Meanwhile, back at Wayne Manor, <laughs> you know, Bruce Wayne is youthful ward. Dick Grayson. Yes. Do whatever. They should have shot Star Wars there. It would be way better. But I, you know, I'm maybe sure. they will. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Enough about Paul Blart. Um, <laughs> Before we move into topics, uh, we we got uh, this doesn't happen that often, but uh, I want to. I kind of like the idea of more direct feedback, so I'm going to encourage this, even though the question's a little strange. Um, a gentleman on Twitter who goes by looks like Defense sixty six uh, had a question about. Um, uh, I'm going to paraphrase, but um, walks of shame that may have occurred at some point in life. <laughs> and I, I asked for clarification. And um, he said, I now I quote, I mean the type of walk of shame where your mama would see you and shake her head for raising a fool. Um, <laughs> so he wants to know <laughs> uh, if we've had experiences like this in Las Vegas and if we could describe them. Does either, Do either one of you guys want to... Uh, Want to share, Dave? You're like a respectable family man. Um, I'm hoping your story isn't going to be too crazy if you have one. I well, you know, I think the fool thing kind of triggered a memory that I think I'd had suppressed. And this isn't Las Vegas. <laughs> this is this is Atlantic City, and this involves my participation in an ad hoc bomb squad. Wow! <laughs> Want to hear it? Yeah, please. Okay, so it's when I'm working security at the Taj, and we would get bomb threats, and Somebody called in and said they put a bomb in a trash can in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And there's 
bazillion bathrooms in the Taj. It's like, all right, Schwartz, just go around and check trash cans for bombs. And here's a pair of rubber gloves. So the first one I go into, and I put on the gloves, and I'm going in there, and I, I'm, I'm thinking I'm so smart because I come up with a cover story. I'm like, yeah, if anybody says, why are you rummaging through the trash, I'll just say that a guest law their wallet and I'm trying to, to locate it and reunite it with them. And that's a plausible story. So a first one I go into, put on the gloves, kind of pick through the trash and there's no bomb. And then kind of when I'm done, just give the can a little shake just to verify that I don't hear anything clicking. You know, next one, go in there, do the same, kind of give it a bigger shake. I don't know if you should have been shaking these things, but okay. The third one, it gets better. Third one, I somehow get the idea of, well, instead of shaking it, just kick it. <laughs> so come in, just give it a little tap and look through it, nothing. And by like the fifth one, I'm just coming in like, bam! Like kicking it as hard as I can. And then somewhere around like the eighth or ninth, I'm thinking, so you're looking for a bomb (laughs) by trying, by kicking it? And this will tell you if it's a bomb or not? So yeah, that's probably one of the stupidest things I've ever done. So that was foolish and that was, it did involve walking and it didn't involve, didn't involve much shame because nobody else has known about it until now. So now I guess I can have shame, but hey, I'm a hardworking guy. So what can I say? That's a good one. I like that. That's a good story. Um, Chuck, do you have anything that you want to share? You know, I have no shame and my mother knew a long time ago that Anything could be expected from my trouble. So, due to this fact, nothing really stands out because the whole thing (laughs) is kind of a trip of shame. But I do remember standing there one time at, uh, I was at New York, New York, and I was walking through the casino, and this guy was sitting at a blackjack table. Oh, and I was on mushrooms at the time. He was sitting at a blackjack table, and he had this crazy Hawaiian shirt on with this huge pineapple that to my psychedelic eyes looked like an explosion of pineapple and I stood there in the middle of the casino and I said oh my god his shirt's exploding that's about the limit that I can that's pretty think. good that's pretty good um I will say uh there is one thing that did stand out for me which was I remember uh, a long night, one night, um, followed by a, a too early morning return. Um, and I was flying from um, Las Vegas to California. And I recall getting up and just thinking to myself, I can't believe how bad I feel. What have I done? What is going on? But somehow managing to like pack my shit and get in the car and go to the airport... And so I get out of the taxi cab at the airport, and it just didn't happen. I like threw up all over the airport trash can in front of the check-in line. Um, but let me tell you, the line cleared. Um, there was like <laughs> I didn't have to wait in the line anymore because the people like literally scattered when they saw a ch- uh, puking guy on uh, on the way. So I just you might even use that as a tip if you're late. Um, throw up in front of people and they run away. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> Um, so, Defense 66, thank you for uh, the question. Thank you. Um, hopefully, we uh, responded with the level of detail that you were hoping for. Oh, I mean, we got a bomb squad thing and exploding pineapple and vomit. So, I yeah. don't think that's any better than that. <laughs> I, don't, I agree. I agree. I, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to get into some news. We've got sort of a grab bag of stuff, but I think it would be impossible not to start 
with the um, continuing and unraveling, unrolling, ever-expanding drama at uh, Wynn Resorts, where we've got um, Elaine Wynn, who has been uh, the board's nominating committee, has decided not to renominate her, and they are shrinking the size of the board by one seat, uh, the net effect of which would be she would be out um, as a board member. She is campaigning. Uh, very hard to retain that seat. And there has been a literal war of words, literally. Uh, there has been a war of words back and forth between the two parties over the last several weeks, which has just been insane. And I think that we um, we recorded our last show, right, Was this as this was kicking off. Uh, and I, you know, for one, I'm a little surprised at how it's escalated. And it, it, it's, it's kind of amazing. So I'm going to... Uh, insert a couple little recap items, and if there's anything I missed, you guys can help me follow up. But we saw, um, you know, originally the thing kicked off, and Elaine has created a website where um, she uh, gives her rationale for for being um, reelected, and um, been doing some PR in that regard. The original version of the website included the Win logo, which of course is uh, like her signature, basically. I mean, they say it's Steve's, but it looks more like hers. Um, but it is her last name, no matter who wrote what. Um, and the original version of the site includes that. Uh, two or three days later, uh, the website has changed, and it now includes uh, her version of it written in her own hand. Um, and yes, the company asked her to take it down. Um, this, uh, So th- that, to me, is just like... It shows the sort of tit-for-tat that we're getting here. This is a woman who was married to Steve Wynn for, you know, dozens and dozens of years, a long time, um, was a founder of this company, is a huge shareholder in this company, has been a director of this company, and has contributed, I would say, immeasurably to this company. And now we're getting down to, like, oh, you can't use this logo and you can't use that font. Um the uh, the war of words has been going, raging back and forth. They each have uh, their sort of competing press releases. We've seen this play out several weeks in a row where one side will issue one press release and the other side will issue a response. Um, I'm on, like, the win uh, SEC filing thing, and every time they do this, they have to file with the SEC. And so I get, like, three or four emails a day saying that they filed new crap with the SEC. Like Christmas every 20 minutes. <laughs> I know. It's insane. <laughs> Um, and then, of course, my my personal favorite was what we saw um, last. I saw it last night, which was Steve Wynn's interview with Charlie Rose, uh, who hosts his his show on on PBS or Bloomberg or wherever you watch it these days. But um, you know, they're good friends. The Charlie Rose has done interviews with Wynn before, um, so I wouldn't necessarily expect uh, any kind of like hardcore interview. I really like Charlie Rose in general, but when it comes to Steve Wynn, you can tell it's sort of kid gloves. Um, but Steve goes on the show, and Charlie does ask him about Elaine, and Steve gets this like completely bullshit response where he recuses his himself. Um, but he also says he basically straight up says like I the directors want to do this. Like, I don't agree with that, but I'm okay. You know, I'm recusing myself because I'm, you know, I got too many, I've, I've, it's a conflict of interest, which is not at all consistent with his position. As far as we can tell from all the other sources. And so of course, Elaine wins people super smart. They're like, wait, Steve Wynn himself says that she should be reelected to the board. (laughs) And then of course, of course, moments later, uh, press release from Wind Resorts. Steve Wynn says, I didn't say that. <laughs> Basically, like, that was all bullshit. I didn't mean any of that. Like, it's unbelievable how they're just doing this back and forth in public. 
Um, I, I this is just such a crazy story. Uh, the shareholders meeting is next Friday, so it's a week from today. Um, it's you know not clear how it's all going to shake out. There's uh, the way that their um, dissolution of marriage agreement works. Their stock is voted in a block, so uh, they each have to support each other for renomination to the board. So Steve's shares will be voted along with Elaine's to renominate uh, renominate her. Um, or to re-elect her, I guess. Uh, and then it's going to come down to the other, the institutionals, and then you know anybody else that votes, and then we'll see, we'll see where it where it winds up. But I, I mean, this is just crazy drama from a company that, like, you can tell that they hate that this is in public, that it's all playing out in public. But it is. Uh, I don't know. This story just has me uh, just bemused, and I just I can't believe this is happening. Um, Chuck, wh- what's your take on this whole thing? I think Steve. Uh, obviously is behind all of this. This is yes. a power play. No question. Uh, just like the the Okada thing, uh, this is this is a consolidation of power. There's kind of a threat here with Steve. Uh, there's four possible outcomes to this, and we're talking about two two different lawsuits going on at once. I get if you call the the board fight a lawsuit. Okay, two fights. There's a fight over of over the board seat. And there's a fight over the dissolution of the stockholder agreement, right. which means if, if Elaine wins that, then she can vote her shares independently as to what Steve wants. Or sell them. Or sell them, right? If Steve loses this fight for the, uh, the shares, then that means Elaine can pretty much put Steve out of business. Pretty much he can lose control of the resort. If she sells it to uh, any of the other top 10 shareholders or goes and finances a stock buy, you know, she becomes uh, the majority owner other than T. Rowe Price, which is a mutual fund. And that's split into like four parts too. But if he, if he loses that... That's big problems, and it's going to affect their debt covenants, right. and it's going to change the way that their interest, because it's going to be basically a material change of ownership. There's mm. clause in the agreements, which is going to just make the whole thing go haywire. Their credit rating is going to get screwed. Right. Who knows all this stuff? And the so, other thing is, if, if he loses the board seat, too, then that means Elaine's still going to be on the board. So there's only one scenario where Steve wins both. There's two scenarios where he splits either one, where he gets her off the board, and then there's the other scenario where Elaine stays on the board and she wins the stock fight too. So the cards are really stacked against Steve as to what's going on, and that's why this has become such an important fight. I think it's fascinating. So you were referring to the this change of control provisions that are in their debt covenants, and basically they're not right. uncommon, especially when you've got companies that are very much sort of built around – uh, powerful founders. You see it in um, other cases as well. But basically, the the financial markets have said, "Look, this company is Steve Wynn. Steve Wynn is this company. If Steve Wynn is not around, this company is worth less." And yep. um, so, all of that is written into all of their uh, bondholder agreements, so that if something does happen where um, he is no longer a majority shareholder, uh, the companies worry that that to to prevent sort of a cascade debt explosion, they would have to buy up a bunch of shares that they don't have the money to buy. Um, they don't have the cash. So they would, it would be a problem for them, a big problem financially, if this thing, whole thing exploded. I just, I, the whole, it's just fascinating. I don't, it's, 
Yeah. It's hard to imagine. Um, I, I don't know. I, I see. I see Elaine as such a contributor to this company. I, I, I in some ways, I just think this whole thing is sad. Yeah. I don't know if if um, Steve thought that she would go quietly, or if this would play out differently. Or I'm 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 wondering if this if they always knew it was going to be a bloody fight, or if they thought this was going to play out differently. But um, Chuck, feel free to get. Uh, if you, sounds like you want to get an, a word, and and when you're done, I want to hear from Dave. Yeah, no, I think I think the uh, the Elon thing, the Andrew thing, I think is a uh, is an instigator in this, along with uh, uh, along with the stock agreement lawsuit, the the marriage lawsuit. So it's also the timing too, because they can only they only vote the Class A directors every three years. I think they rotate like A, B, or C every three yep. years. So now it's her time to be up. So if it was right. last year, it would have been last year too. If it was next year, it would be next year too. This is the first cycle since that that, that he's had the cho- the chance to get rid of it. But it, it's it's hysterical what he said on Charlie Rose. He, he said, I, "I did not support." This is Steve. I did not support. He got real quiet. His voice gets real low and he gets real quiet when he's trying to be nicely defending himself. He does this on the earnings call and everything. He's like, I did not support the decision of the board. And in an impossibly embarrassing position of either not supporting my former wife, Elaine, which I am happy to do and obliged to do by, law, by, by the agreement he has to vote for her, or not supporting my board of directors. So he's trying to play himself in the middle of both right. of these right. things. And of course, Elaine called him on it immediately. And, and this whole process of Steve with his, with his, uh, you know, his carnival barking, charm, chime, uh, uh, charming persona, uh, it starts because Elaine's kind of hammering it and being really on the, on the point of, of making her, her argument. Steve looks like looks like the uh, the hip shooting buffoon in this. It's the whole thing is is just a sight to see. I I am I am surprised that it's gone as many rounds as it has. I mean, clearly this is something that is incredibly important to her, um, and she's really fighting for it. And she's hired some really aggressive people to help her. Yeah. Uh, to help her make it happen, so I don't know. But Dave, what do you what do you think about this? It's really hard to say. You know, it's. I think Chuck said a lot of what I would say. It is just kind of surreal watching the whole thing play out, and don't know enough about the inside world of boardrooms to know how it's going to play out. But wow. Yeah, I mean, uh, it is. It, I it's amazing. It's I think it's fascinating to watch this whole thing go. And to try to think of, you know, what's going to happen next. I mean, Elaine has been careful to make it clear that, you know, like, there's sort of no hard feelings. Like, this is business, and that's over in this area, and, like, everything else is over here. Like, we still talk. We talk about our kids, like, our grandkids, like, politics, all this stuff. Like, we're, we're, we're adults. We can separate the sort of war, war, warring factions in the boardroom from the rest of our lives. And I think that sort of goes to the like, well, you know, if I do end up on the board, if I do win, can I be effective? Like, is he going to try and shut me out? Or I, I think it sort of speaks to that as well, right? He's saying like, look, I, we're, we're adults. Like, we can, I, I want this. They disagree and we're going to figure it out. Or we're going to sort of, it, it's going to be figured out <laughs> one way or another. Um, but I, it's just, I think it's just fascinating because uh, 
I, it's very rare that we get to see this in public. I, I can't remember what publication it was. Maybe it was either the New York Times or Business Week or one of the two, I think. But they referred to this as the, you know, the breakup of a business's most successful marriage, which I think is a very interesting way of looking at it. Um, because they have been a, such a successful – I mean, they have together, they have built two multi-billion dollar companies. Um, that is pretty tough to compete with. I think there are few people in the world who have the ability to say no to Steve Wynn. And right. Elaine is one of them. He's surrounded by yes people and employees. You know, how many people are really going to give him the, the hard truth? You know, they've been married and divorced twice. They've seen every single possible scenario. Victory, poverty, uh, victory again. Uh, the creative pursuits, all of this stuff. They've gone through every single thing. She's obviously been the one who who knows best how to deal with Steve. And that is, the, for, for an ego-driven kind of guy, I'm not knocking on him, I'm just saying this is the facts of his, his personality. He wants to be in control. Yeah, Having yeah. that one voice of somebody who can say, Steve, you're wrong, out. I thought... Uh... She she maybe said it best. We've been roommates for the last forty years. Yeah, I can't remember where that was, but I thought that was a, a very funny way of looking at it, given the sort of ups and downs in their personal relationship that are well documented. Um, I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to see how this turns out, um, and it's going to be interesting to see. Like no matter what happens, it's going to be interesting yeah. to see how it turns out because if she wins. Um, does that put it to bed, or is this going to be a thing where they continue to try? I mean, look, they killed Okada by digging up, you know, dirt, which Okada says is made up. I mean, it's yeah. hard for me to imagine that they would go nuclear on a lane, but uh, who knows? Yeah. Um, I didn't well, think they, this they, was going to happen either. This is nuclear. Steve's trying to play the middle of the fence here, saying, oh, I still love her. She's still one of my best friends. But at the same time, he's got the guys in the board slitting her throat. Right. This is like, this is using the board to win... Like the last piece of uh, of their their marriage dissolution, you know right. her influence and her power. Right. Are we going to have a show next Friday after we find out? Oh, we should. If it, we should, we should talk about it. Yeah, maybe. Uh, it's it's. I think it'd be interesting to check in and see how things end up. But um, I, the whole thing is is a crazy story. And, uh, you know, I don't have any Wynn Resort stock, but if I did, I would vote to keep her. I think she's incredibly valuable. Yeah. Um, I will say, before we move off of Wynn, there was one other part of the interview that I, I uh, actually appreciated, which was, um, you know, he starts talking about politics. And I personally have very little affection for Steve Wynn's political rants. Um, but he told a story that I hadn't heard that I appreciated, which was, going to keynote for the Nevada GOP convention, something or other at some point. And basically he walked, I think he told the story to make him sound like he's sort of like, you know, wants a little bit of everything and he's an inclusive guy. But I, he said, look, he, according to him, I'm paraphrasing what he said to them, which he was paraphrasing, but uh, he goes in and he says, is, you know, the back of the elephant big enough for, for my friends? And he's talking about, you know, he said, one of the guys that is responsible for so much of my success is a gay. He's talking about Roger Thomas, of course. And um, are you guys going to be able to 
like I, I can't have, I can't be a part, implying that he can't be a part of something that's going to discriminate against people that he yeah. loves and people he cares about. Which you know, I, I, I like that story, and I appreciate the fact that he's out there standing up for the things that he believes in, uh, in that category. So, so often on conference calls and whatever, he sounded like he was pontificating. But I, I really like that story, and yeah. uh, it was one I had not heard before. All he right. also said that he he also said that he'd never had a union grievance in forty years. Yeah, that was like you and know, then revisionist th- history, but yeah. And then he espoused basically tip pooling amongst uh, third grade teachers. Right. <laughs> yeah, so, right. Yeah, that's true. The, his his plans to save the country were like a, a little bit like they were like Underwood twenty sixteen type plans. Yeah. Like <laughs> they were sort of they were very America worksy. Like I don't think if, that yeah, they worked. If, if teachers get their students, 80% of their students, to pass a standardized test they agree on, then they get $75,000 in tax-free income. Yeah, but, like, <laughs> why wouldn't uh, – Not I don't want to go in this direction, but, like, okay, so can the teachers make up the test and say yep. the question is, like, what's the first letter of the alphabet? A, exactly. okay, everyone, everyone gets 100%. Like, we're done. Yeah. Right. I, uh, okay. Sorry, I. If Steve wants to run for office, he should run for office. I don't, I'm not sure I'm taking that too seriously. He's definitely not Jim Mern because he's against climate change too. I he as I said <laughs> moments ago. Yeah. Uh, there are many many places where I disagree with him, but I did enjoy his story about being inclusive in the Republican Party, of which I am not a member. Can um, I mention the Kissinger quote at the end? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, go ahead. There's a Kissinger quote. Yeah, he quotes Kissinger at the end. Yeah, please. You gotta watch in what it. context? I don't want to ruin it for you. You got to watch the whole thing. You you should watch it. It's a good interview, I think. Uh, it's typical Steve. He needs a new stylist, but other than that, it was a good interview. <laughs> all right, that's all I'm going to say. Um, okay, moving off of win win versus win, um, I want to talk about someone else that we know, um, Derek Stevens, who is uh, in charge at the D and the Golden Gate. He was in the news recently uh, <laughs> um, because he made a bet. Um, I believe on Michigan State to win the Final Four, and they got to the semifinal game, I believe, right? Um, second to last game, they got beat by Duke, and then uh, Duke won the final. Um, which was amazing to watch this unravel. Like, I don't know if he and I haven't asked talked to Derek about this. Um, you know, disc- disclaimer: we are friends with Derek. Um, I haven't talked to him about this, so I don't know how much of this was a plan, but if any of it, but, you know, he made this bet back in, like, December or something like that when the odds were significantly different, and um, he had no way of knowing how far it would go, but the guy got so much publicity out of this. It was unbelievable. He was, like, in every um, in every website, sports website, like ESPN, like, he was everywhere. The whole idea that he would win a million dollars if the team... Uh, won the uh, basketball championship was like, you know, it's just this like incredibly great PR move. I was just blown away by, I, I again, I don't know if this was like completely strategized or if he just was on a whim and uh, decided to make a bet and this is the way it worked out. But I mean, wow, I was blown away by how much free media he got out of this whole thing. Um, every single time they're mentioning the D, uh, I, I was, it was very impressive to see the whole thing unfold. And the Golden Nugget, because that's where he placed his bet. They right. got a lot of press out of this, too. And they won. Yep, right. And I guess I, my understanding is that he ended up hedging his bet, so I think it 
uh, ended up as being a, a zero balance transaction in the <laughs> end. But um, still, I thought this was amazing to see this whole thing unfold. People loved this story, and uh, you know, it did like ten orbits before it died. Yeah, and unfortunately, like it didn't some- win. This is like some Benny Binion shit, you know? Totally, totally. Yeah. This, it's like, it's, you know, it's just like, I'll take any bet, and I don't care if you win. And, it, you know, it's, it's uh, I, I think it's a good example, and again, I don't know if this was his thinking or not, but it's a good example of sort of short-term, long-term thinking, right? You can say like, whoa, but I'm going to lose $20,000. Um, yeah, but man, you're going to get such dividends out of it if it goes uh, the way that it did. So I think it's fascinating. This is- is a perfect reason why so many of us uh, really like Tarek. He's he's first and foremost he's a gambler like everybody else. You know he likes to wager. He likes to bet. That's what brought him to Las Vegas. He's not a finance guy. He I'm sure knows his finance stuff, but you know when it comes down to it, he's got the gambler gene. He didn't come in because he's got an MBA. He may have an MBA. I have no idea, but. You know what I'm saying, right? It's yep, like, he, I do. he is this guy. I think the biggest compliment I can give Derek is that I didn't find out that he had an MBA until I'd known him for about a year. There you go. Okay. And I mean that in the best possible sense. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. And I think, you know, the idea that a guy who owns a gambling casino is going to be gambling and making news for gambling is the kind of thing that makes so much sense that you're surprised that more people don't do it. Yeah. Right. I just I loved the whole story. I wish he would have won, just because it would have been an even better story. But uh, I, it was really fun to watch when I when random people on the street were like, "Have you heard about this guy that's going to win a million dollars?" I'm like, yeah. "Yeah, I know that guy." And they're like, well, "You know that guy?" I mean, yeah. that was like, it, you know, he was he was uh, he was famous for a few days in there. It was pretty cool to watch. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move along. Like I said at the top of the show, we got sort of a grab bag of stuff. I don't I don't think a lot of these topics are going to take very long, but they're worth noting. Um, apparently, I wasn't aware of this, but uh, apparently some shareholders, uh, some MGM Resorts shareholders, filed suit against the company. Um, they want to – they had – some of these – this shareholder had created a proposal to turn the company into a real estate investment trust, which is the structure that Caesars is going with uh, post-bankruptcy. Um, the MGM folks uh, don't seem too interested in this idea. Basically, they said uh, no. Um <laughs> but uh, and maybe it's is it a lawsuit or not? Maybe it's not a lawsuit. Maybe it's just a proposal. So maybe I got that wrong. But it's they a proxy were, fight. Okay, so I thought this was interesting. Um, you know, REITs are um, common in certain parts of the business world. Obviously, as I said, Caesars is uh, is going that way. Um, MGM doesn't seem to want to do it, or at least they if they don't want to do it on anybody else's terms. Um, is this a thing that we should care about? Is this just going to go away? I mean, we see proxy fights all the time. I think it will go away. I think it's part of this bigger trend of the REIT, which looks like it's coming. And I guess I would just say that it seems like a real good idea from a lot of the kind of spreadsheet perspectives. Right. But I don't know how good of an idea it actually is. And I think it says something that... You have a company whose board's, board of directors has thought about it and doesn't want to do it. I, I think that tells me a lot that maybe it's not the panacea that everybody thinks it is. Yeah, and honestly, anything that Caesars is doing, I would do the opposite personally. Um, <laughs> if I was running a, my company, um, I think uh, I think it's interesting. There, there was there's a story about this in the Sun, and of course, the comments are always enlightening. But um, basically. There was, I think, an uh, illuminating comment where basically one person said, 
you know, if they do this, they basically have to give all the money that they make back to the shareholders, <laughs> and they won't have any money to maintain any of their stuff. And the next commenter replied, he said, I'm a shareholder. That's what I want. I don't care if they maintain their stuff. I want the money. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Well, that exactly <laughs> – to me, that's a great reason not to do it. So um, – I'm not uh, privy to uh, MGM's internal discussions, but uh, it it does seem like it's an uh, it's it, you know maybe not in their best interest. I guess we'll see what happens. But I would assume that if they do if they ever do something like this, it's going to be on their terms, not because someone's coming in to try and force their hand. Yep. They seem like they're in a strong enough position that they can they they're, that they can dictate terms and push this stuff back. I mean, they're they're not. Uh, as encumbered as some of the other companies we've seen that have been in big trouble. It's generally, uh, you know, investors might be getting impatient with what's not happening with MGM's stock price. Right. You know, it's been uh, going back to, goodness me, let's look, uh, 2009, it's been under... 20 bucks, except in the last year it got up to like 22, 24, I think, tops. So, you know, that's a long time, man. That's a long time for that stock to be just sitting there and not really rebounding. Granted, if you look at it on a percentage basis, it's had uh, some degree of growth, but now it's got the MGM and the Mandalay Group rolled into it. So, those assets that they highly leverage themselves to purchase, uh, as well as uh, City Center. Um, they're probably undervalued, uh, undervalued. And if you take the the real estate out and you roll that out, uh, it might actually help them. But I, I think it's a long shot. These guys are basically trying to reelect, uh, trying to elect their own slate for the board. So they're doing the same thing, sort of, as Elaine Wynn. They're trying to get people to vote their own proxy to take over control of the board and make the decisions. Yeah, but that's pretty common, right? I mean, yeah. like, you know, I oh, I don't know what the stats are, but uh, the companies always want to elate their own slate of directors, and every once in a while you get an interesting fight like we have at Win, but most of the time it's just the rubber stamp commission. Penn National did uh, a re in 2013, and I don't remember exactly what what, what happened on the uh, real estate size, but their their stock went from, like, 60 to, like, 8 bucks or 12 bucks <laughs> or something like that. In a day, it's like pow, gone. But wow, you know. Well, we'll see if anything comes of this, but uh, it's interesting. It will be interesting to see if this ends up being a, a greater trend. Um, but until that happens, we will forget about it entirely. Um, let's see. Uh, I don't know if there's much to say, but a note that Resorts World is, uh, you know, making noise about groundbreaking. Finally, people have been a little bit nervous since they haven't seen a lot going on. But um, we're seeing some activity. So, you know, do we need to be worried about Resorts World or is it still uh, a done deal? I think we need to not think about it lest it go away. I, that's yeah. kind of the feeling I get in Las Vegas right now. It's like, well, yes, it's pending, it's going, and it's everything's going great, and let's not worry about it. Yep, fair enough. Well, they made the filings, there's renderings, there's drawings, there's all sorts of stuff of what they're going to build, and they're going to start with the visitor center, which is two little buildings on the north and the south end of the uh, the property, which are eventually going to be built into being part of the entirety of the resort. So when you go into those uh, uh, preview centers, you're actually going to take your first steps into the property. They're going to build I it. think that's interesting and notable. Yeah. Like that, you know, the preview centers I've always seen in the past have been very temporary structures. Um, 
I was sort of surprised to read that that yeah. uh, that they, this stuff's meant to be permanent. Yeah. Hopefully that means it'll be nice. Yeah. Well, it kind of reminds kind of reminds me of what Wynn did with Bellagio, where they needed the O Theater. You know, a year before the rest of the, of the resort, so we just built that first and kind of built everything around it. So right. you had that. So yeah, it kind of reminds me of that. There you go. All right. Um, let's see. I want to make sure that we don't miss this, which is Revel. Everyone's favorite Atlantic City resort is having its own sort of comedy of malfunctions over the last uh, little bit here. So, um, Dave, I would love to hear, as always, as our resident Atlantic City expert, I would love to hear from you on this. But we've seen some back and forth. So the property was finally sold. Um, but new owners have a dispute with the people that own the electrical generation plant on site. And basically, they were not able to resolve those issues. And the company shut off power to the resort. <laughs> Um, which is like, okay. And so then the city says, we are going to fine you if we don't have power because there's all kinds of public safety issues without there being any, any kind of electrical power. Um, so my understanding is that now they're actually brought in a bunch of uh, temporary generators. So they got power back on. They're talking about bypassing this electrical generation plant and tying into power from a neighboring casino that's also shut down. But man, what a mess. You know, it's kind of like you get the feeling that the city's kind of the Truman Show and everybody's just doing stuff. The universe is just doing stuff with it just to mess with it to yeah. see how much it can take. You know, it's such... So for years, the city is a punchline and the laughing stock of a good part of the world. Then for a couple of years, they're doing okay and they're making money. And But then people are still looking down on them because it's mostly quarter slot players. Then they lose that and... Group of people, for good or for bad, invest a lot of money to build this really incredibly great casino resort there in spite of all the trends. And it opens and it goes bankrupt. And you think it can't get worse. But then it kind of gets revived in this weird kind of zombie, it's there, it's not there. You know, it's not not just as somebody else is going to open it up and have hotel rooms no it's going to be this genius university think tank thing for free white people it's just this weird that's what he said that's his words not mine it's just bizarre it's really bizarre and now the showboat and stockton college or whatever it whether it's a college or university i don't know what they call themselves now but stockton had bought the showboat and the trump people are saying you can't use the showboat for a campus because that'll hurt our property so now he's also it looks like he's buying the showboat from stockton and then leasing it back to them it's a whole weird thing and it's just it's kind of like it feels like the end times there it really does in a weird, in a sad. It's just a sad story from so many, so many perspectives. Yeah, I, I, it's a bizarre this whole this whole argument over the uh, over the electric electrical stuff. And you know they they build these little power plants to power these resorts. I mean the company that that bought it. And I don't know if it's, is it the utility there or is it some other company? But like they they're not gonna. It, well, they need to figure this out or else it's going to be a lot of money sunk into Nowheresville. But it's just, it's silly it, to see this go back and forth. Like, you're just like, really? You can't figure this out? It just seems like a kind of a disaster. Yeah, and now he's bringing in generators and the, the DEP, Environmental Protection, is fining him for the generators. 
Yeah. They're admitting, it's just so, it's just so sad. You know, you couldn't find one person in the whole world who would have just paid $110 million for this thing and just try to run it as a hotel. And casino, you know, it's like, oh, God, that's the worst part of this, is that this is kind of the best they can do right now. And that's the saddest thing. You know, if you go back to 10 years ago, when the future looked so bright, and today, yeah, this is kind of the best we can hope for. That is, I think that's the bottom line, is that it just, for a locale that is trying to recalibrate and reconfigure itself, um, it is uh, it is unfortunate and bad news, so. It's and, just a bizarre story. And maybe this is all just posturing and they'll get it all figured out and sign right. a new contract. And then maybe. a year from now, we'll say, well, how stupid were you, Dave? Because you didn't see the genius of this whole plan. But <laughs> as of right now, just as a native of the city, it's really sad. And you just wish the people in the city would just say, look, we need to do something because this is not helping things. I honestly, even if they, even if it is posturing... I f- still feels to me like it's gone too far. Like I, they, he look, they look like idiots now because yeah. they weren't able to resolve this. So even if they do make a deal and they somehow do, uh, even if it is for less money and they save a few bucks, they've they've wasted so much capital. I mean, like political, social capital on it that I don't think it was worth it. Yeah. And, anyway, I don't know, but we're not billionaires, so what do we know? Why couldn't uh, they sell this property? You think it's the property itself, the market in terms of the casino business, or is it that everybody knows that dealing with the bureaucracy in Atlantic City is is not worth the price of admission? I think it's a combination of all those things because you know certainly in the past a state has not been that forward thinking with its regulations, so that's that's a big part of it. And I think that just kind of freaks people out. And why would they choose to invest there when there's other places with more regulatory certainty that they can invest and probably get a better return on investment? You really do need, you know, what you need is someone like a Paul Steelman who has that vision, who's from the city, who does have plans. You know, what he's done with Steel Pier is pretty nice. You need somebody like that who can get capital and has a plan and can invest it and do something that's actually going to work. So that combination of a desire to change it and also experiencing in, in the industry. And one person who was like that was Dennis Gomes. Unfortunately, we lost him a couple years ago. I think what he was doing at resorts was exactly, the, that was exactly kind of the person they needed, where he knew the business. He'd been in Atlantic City for a long time. Full disclosure, I used to work for him. And he was able to get that capital to buy resorts and start to turn it around. You know, that's the kind of thing that I would see working here, not just, hey, we're going to fight about everything and the union and the owners are going to fight and the power companies and the owners are going to fight. We're just going to fight over these pieces. And I think you just need somebody who can see the big picture. Yeah. Yeah, this doesn't seem like the right uh, mixture to me, but um, we'll see what happens. All right, let's see. A few more things here. Um, my friend and yours, Sam Nazarian, uh, a note in the newspaper that he's returning to SLS. Of course, uh, after SLS Las Vegas opened in August and we went through the drama of his uh, licensing hearings, he uh, decided to do the sort of mea culpa, I'm going off to find myself in the Malibu kind of thing. Um, and it made it, you know, I'm, he, uh, said he was stepping away from, uh, a day-to-day role in his company. And, um, of course, since then, 
SLS Las Vegas, at least, has not really been doing that well, from what we can tell. Um, we continue to hear a lot of reports about it being pretty dead, uh, limited hours in its nightclubs and restaurants that are not signs of a super vibrant business. They did have a change of leadership there um, uh, a while ago now as well. Um, but it sounds like he's coming back. Not a lot of detail about exactly what this means, but I will say I'm a little surprised it happened so quickly. I don't know if that means he got restless or if things are worse than I thought or if it means nothing and it just is the way things work. But um, were you expecting him to come back so quickly, Chuck? My hiatus from this show was longer than Sam's from SBE. <laughs> Yeah, it's it, that, yeah. So I mean, so you agree? It wasn't. A, it was shorter than you no. It was gonna be. This was no, this was a this was a non step back. You know, this was yeah. a go to Hawaii, go take a vacation, get your name out of the news for yep. a while kind yep. of deal. It's not like a hey, I need to take a break, figure out what's going on, and come back. I'm willing to to throw a little dollars, a couple dollars, a couple five, ten, twenty five dollars, whatever you guys want to accept. That uh, you know, Stockbridge made him go away for two months. Yeah, I think that's plausible. I think it. it I I would not be surprised to find it w- was a PR strategy. Um, yeah. I think what's more interesting, of course, is going to be what happens next. Um, does think do things change at SLS? I mean, are are we going to see uh, some of these problems fixed, or you know, is is it going to be more the same? Well, you talked to Oslin. You know, he readily admitted that they uh, they had a long row to hoe and needed a yep. lot of runway to get there to get this thing going. So maybe they financed this in with uh, the construction and the EB five money. So wow, EB four, EB four, EB five, EB ten. Is it EB five? That's a great a great segue to the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is Harry Reid retiring. Um, Harry Reid, Senate now minority leader, uh, Nevada senior senator, is announced he's going to retire and not run for re-election in 2016. Um, his last uh, fight was a bruising one, so um, I'm sure you know he's tired. But what I want to know is, a, it's interesting because the EB5 thing has been tied to his office, and maybe there is at least well, who knows with how partisan Washington is, but people were making noise about whether or not um, some of this stuff went through the proper uh, Homeland Security and State Department channels, and I have no idea if they did or didn't. But, D- Dave, I'd love to ask you, you know, Harry Reid, a lot of influence in Washington and has brought a lot of money to the Silver State, uh, outsized probably, given its population. How, is this a big deal for Nevada, and what is this going to mean for the gaming industry? Um, for the gaming industry, I don't know. End of the day, I think Nevada's still a purple state with six electoral votes. And it's going to be something that's in play, you know, as partisanship gets more heated and the divisions or lines are drawn even more. I think a state like Nevada, which either party can say that they can win in any given election cycle, I think it is going to be in a good position to get stuff from Washington. It's weird. I was kind of thinking of this and I was, I was thinking about writing a column about this, but I don't think I can express it written form, I'll try to just ask you guys what you think. It's kind of strange because what happened with the EB-5 thing is, in a twisted way, one of the really good things about representative democracy. 
because, you know, apparently there's political pressure put on to speed up these investors to get money back into the community to put people to work. Compare that with what's going on in China now and the corruption crackdown where it's just like, no, we don't care if this is going to hurt people and companies. This is what we're doing and we don't want to hear about it. Does that make any sense to you or is that just kind of uh, Pollyannish apologizing? I... I think it's I think it's a fascinating um, I think it's a fascinating contrast for sure, and I, I would love to uh, to get the inside story on on what happened with the EB five stuff, and of course, for this show especially, what's happening in China with Macau has been you know hugely impactful. Um, I, we should ask our good friend Steve Wynn. You know, he's such a big fan of Chinese <laughs> Chinese government. Um, and I don't know. I do think it's well, you know, the, thi- the thing is, they tried to do an anti-corruption crackdown on Vegas in the '60s, and right, Grant Sawyer went out and told Kennedy, "Like, look, we voted for you last time, and I'm a Democratic governor, and you're going to kill me here. Don't do it." So Jack Kennedy called off his brother. So I think that kind of shows how this stuff works in even in a very small state like Nevada. You have safeguards against that. Sort of, yeah. Now I do sound like I'm doing some kind of uh, talking <laughs> points here. That kind of anti-business, anti-whatever. They use a better word than business instead of anti-business, anti-commerce, anti-commerce action. You know, you've got those. And the, again, and I say this as a teacher of American history: the great thing about the system is also the bad thing about the system is that it's so slow to change, and there's so many people at the table. But that's what it was designed to do. That's what the Constitution is for. So people can't get crazy ideas in their head that we're going to get rid of all of this or all of that and force it through. There's a lot of checks and balances. Yeah. I think um, the other thing about Harry Reid is whether or not he is going to get this online gaming ban through as part of one of the last things he does before he leaves the Senate. Uh, he's, I be- he is uh, in favor of the ban, and I, you know, he's trying to trying to make it work. Do you think it's? Do you think he's got a chance? I mean, if let's say he decides that he wants to make this like the last big thing he does before he leaves office, do you think that that has more of an impact, Dave? I don't think it would be a great legacy. <laughs> you know, like, oh, the last thing I did was prevent people from doing something in this country that they've been doing in other country f- countries for years with no discernible ill effects on society. And yeah, I don't know. I, I guess that's just because I don't really see the, the whole purpose for why you do it. Right now, if a state doesn't want to have online gaming, they don't have to. Right. I think that's sufficient. Again, that goes back to our constitutional system, if the people of a state like New Jersey want to bet on casino games online, who is the rest of the country to tell them they can't when the rest of the country is betting on other stuff? And that's just my own editorial view. I, I don't know. It, and it just seems to me from the, from the very limited insights I have into the political process and Congress, if you're going to get people to vote on something, I, I would really hope it wasn't something as inconsequential as people betting on stuff online, which is such a small part of the bigger economy. I mean, there's so many bigger problems out there than people gambling in the wrong place. Yeah, I agree. And this is why Dave is proud to announce today on the Vegas game that he is running for president. (laughs) If if nominated, I will not run. If elected, I will not serve. Oh, come on. All right. Yeah, they, yeah, we are. God, we're already in the presidential season. That's right. 
Huh, it gets earlier and so earlier. So how many, what, we have like, how many more months of this do we have to sit through? Uh, a lot. And again, because of the Purple State thing, they all have to come here. Yep. And whenever they do, they tie up the airport connector. And <laughs> oh, I, I'm I've, late to work or late coming home. It's unbelievable. I mean, any, any, probably anybody listening to this knows, but visiting Nevada uh, during election season is just insane. The number of ads and number of stuff everywhere. Um, it is out of control. The stuff that we don't see in California because it's such a solidly blue state. Um, but yeah, I, I can only imagine what it's like to go to a place like Ohio or Florida. <laughs> it's got to be pretty terrible. Yeah, it's just got to be pretty bad. So I, uh, I feel your pain, Dave. I feel your pain. And you know, they're all just going to tell everybody what they want to hear. I mean, they all say the same thing when they come. Yeah. how great we are and you know but it's that's kind of what they do that's what they do so i guess again that's the system they, if they want the office they have to come here and shake hands with all of us moments ago you seem so hopeful now you seem so cynical <laughs> well you know i think this again this is kind of my reflections i'm i'm teaching two sections of u.s history this semester and it's amazing how it kind of all does work out in the end and it's really frustrating while we're doing it and it can be kind of agonizing but in the end, it kind of all works out. And when you compare the deep inequities we had 150 years ago or 200 years ago to today, I think we're doing a pretty good job. Good point. Always could be better, though. Perspective is good. No, I <laughs> yeah. hear you. Speaking of the president, if Steve Wynn ran for president, uh huh, who would be his running mate? Uh, not Elaine. <laughs> um, that's a really good question. Who would be his running mate? And would he get Sheldon's vote? That's a really, that's a better question. Maybe Sheldon uh, would be his running mate. I don't think they get very far. Can you imagine Sheldon being the number two on anybody's political ticket? I, don't I guess so. not. I guess not. I don't think so. That's a good question. I'm going to ponder that one for a while, Chuck. Yeah. Who do you think, like. Chuck? Uh, Matt Maddox. <laughs> probably. <laughs> he would be his finance chair, probably. But yes. yes. Campaign director. <laughs> Oh, that's a good one. All right, let's see. Uh, a couple things I want to knock out before we go. One is a story on a website I found called VegasTripping.com. Not sure if you're <laughs> familiar with it. Um, speaking about uh, flashback, time machine, time warp to the 60s, 470s for uh, Mandalay Bay. Mandalay Bay. Bay Mandalay. Um, tell me what I'm talking about. Chuck. Yeah, we uh, we stumbled across uh, a uh, cache of photos of forthcoming room designs that are coming to Mandalay Bay, and uh, they're quite something to behold. Uh, when I first looked at them, I, I I I laughed. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Uh, it's the rooms are are designed kind of like the Bellagio rooms. There's and Link does this too. Their new rooms too is one wall is a uh, all over design. So from one corner to the other corner, it's a giant one giant photo. And in these rooms, they're all uh, cross sections of minerals, rocks. Uh, some are kind of crazy. They look like blobs under a microscope. Some look like uh, you know the middle of an acid trip. And some look like the the clue card for the study. Uh, <laughs> some really weird shit. And and then these things are decorated with even more psychedelic uh, patterns of pillows and chairs and things. Turquoises, loud repeating uh, mandala kind of things. 
the uh, one pillow looks like the uh, the flower dance from the wall. I don't know if you guys remember the Gerald Scarf animation of the flower having sex. That that thing in the middle of Pink Floyd's The Wall. The, the, the contrast, the furniture is like 70s meets mid-century modern meets, holy shit, those drapes are annoying. But somehow, they've, they've, they've managed to put in with that the really soft, nice uh, decor of uh, the, the Delano rooms. Uh, and, and, and it, it kind of works. After looking at it for a while, it grew on me, and I, and I started to like it. But my first opinion was, oh, my God, this, is, this looks like a joke from 1973. You look at old Vegas hotel room postcards. Didn't we just get rid of the flower comforters, like, last year? That was the last one went away. So pretty outrageous rooms. And the comments on the post have been uniformly, except for maybe one person, so that's not uniformly. And that guy complains all the time no matter what. But it's been <laughs> uniformly pretty positive about the, the, the reviews of, of the looks of the rooms. I, you know, so um, I was, my first reaction was like, whoa, holy shit. Yeah. Um, because they are like that. But I think like other people, I was like, wow, interesting. Um, I don't know if I'd want to live in that room, but I don't go to Las Vegas to be in rooms I live in. I go to be sort of shocked out of my element for a little while. I thought it was fascinating, and I've, I'm honestly surprised that they went with a what I would consider a pretty bold design. Uh, I, I think of MGM as just always playing it so safe, and um, this is not that. But I was really heartened to see that people were like, wow, weird, cool. Um, and they seem to really like it. So I, I don't know. I think it's really interesting. In my book, anything that takes chances is a win. Yeah. yeah. I think it's cool. So I'm glad that they're doing something a little bit different, and I'm glad that you spoiled the surprise by showing it to us. <laughs> Um, there's 37, of, there's 37 other photos, so I didn't spoil all the surprise. All right, just, good, just good. a little bit of it. Uh, the suites are fantastic. The suites look really great. That second photo is of the suites with the crazy turquoise, but the rest of it is really like woody and chrome and silver and purple. And it's got a whole really cool decor to it. I'm looking forward to the suites more than the rooms. Yeah. I, um, I don't know. It looks cool to me. I I'm glad that they're doing something neat. Um, so yeah, totally into it. I will say, uh, Dave, I might disagree with you that like, what did you just say? Something different is always risk, good. Risk taking. Uh, okay. Well, maybe. I guess it depends on how you thread the needle. So um, the last thing I want to talk about is the bizarre grand bizarre shops, <laughs> um, which have finally opened. Is would you classify that as risk taking? Because I think they're ugly as fuck. No, I mean, that's not, I, I, I'm not in the design process, but it doesn't strike me as the kind of thing where people said, let's do something kind of funny and quirky and, you know, like something kind of, see, I don't like it because you get to the other end of the spectrum where you're doing funny and quirky stuff just for the sake of funny and quirky stuff, like the um, fire shooting praying mantis at the... Yeah, almost called it the container uh, store. Container park, yeah. For the container store. The container store is pretty bed, awesome. Bed, bath, and beyond. <laughs> yeah, so the fire shooting thing at container store. And like that, to me, that's kind of going too far. And like, hey, look how original and quirky we are. But it's just to take something to say, look, this is my design aesthetic. And I'm asking somebody to spend a lot of money to justify this. That's the kind of thing I like. From what I've seen to the bazaar shops, I don't really get that vibe, although I could be wrong. There could be, you know, this could have been out of the atelier of some starving 
designer and this is their vision and it's some kind of subtle commentary on consumerism might be <laughs> with a wall burgers in the back. Yeah. Um, I, so, I mean, I haven't seen them in person completed. The last time I was there, they were mostly done, but there was a fence around them. I haven't been through. Um, I, you know, throughout the process, I've pretty much thought they were going to look terrible. And I, everything I've seen only continues to confirm that. Um, Chuck, are you excited about the bizarre shops? In, um, no, no, not really. No. Okay. I haven't been, I haven't seen them in person yet. I'm on a very long Vegas drought, and it hurts me every day to think about it. So, but it's on my list of the things to go. Well, the, so a lot of several folks have called into the five Hundites and talked about how you know not super awesome they are. So, I have yeah. a feeling that your instincts are probably probably correct. Yep. Um, all right, that's it for today. All kinds of good stuff. Thank you guys so much. Uh, before we go. Um, we will do our famous SureBets segment. So SureBets are uh, our opportunity to recommend something to you out in TV land um, that we might think you'd be interested in. And Chuck, since I'm sure you have something great, I'm going to start with you. Well, you know, my great is basically a retread of your great. Uh, I noticed on the Netflix the other day that uh, an old show that you had recommended last year was was in my queue is sitting right there it's uh, a uh, drama about uh, the creation of a computer called halt and catch fire oh yeah and uh, I finally fired it up and and uh, and I've been enjoying it I've gone through you know these these are days I remember I wasn't there of course but early days of the computers seeing some of the, the equipment they're using the periods and stuff and uh, how people put together technologies in, in crazy dynamic workplaces with bizarre relationships and everybody having all their ulterior motives. You know, this is this is life. And it was pretty fascinating. I do have a couple of complaints about it, but but I've enjoying it for sure. So if you like technology and old stuff and sitting around while the Netflix plays stuff, halt and catch fire. Yeah, I think it's a good show. It's on AMC. First season's on Netflix. Second season's about to start on AMC. Um it's a, a nice little bit of nostalgia. I agree. Yeah. Um, Dr. Dave, do you have anything you want to share today? I've been totally consumed by the semester's end coming up pretty quickly and trying to get my lectures together. So um, pretty much study American history. If you're in my 101 or 102 classes, <laughs> get that SA3 done. Get it turned in on time. You can start now. If you have questions about your thesis, I'm happy to help. Me too. And uh, yeah, do do well on that mid, the uh, final study guide I'm going to yeah. give out. And what else? When is SA3 due? Uh, for 101, I think it's due on the 30th. And for 102, no, 102 it's due on the 30th. 101 is due on May 7th. You better get it right, because if one of your yeah. students does hear this... Yeah, well, wrong, they've got... Like, I've, I have it be a on problem. the PowerPoints. I've set it in class. I've got it on the PowerPoints. It's in the syllabus. So whichever one is, is whichever one is. But yeah, this is kind of weirding. But it's kind of fun being able to take apart American history and try to put it back together in a way that you think people understand and respond to. Yeah. Hmm. So I really like that. But it's very, very time-consuming. Doing any revisions of this? 
Well, of history? Putting it, putting it back. <laughs> well, you know, it's just kind of figuring out, well, what, do, what am I, you know, if I've got an hour and 15 minutes to talk about this period, what am I going to talk about? So one of the things that I've done that is not in their textbook is the textbook has two sentences about the space program. What? Which is like in, in 1957, well, yeah, Soviets launched Sputnik and America raced to catch up. And then in the 60s, like, well, yeah, America landed a man on the moon. So I kind of, one of the things I've done differently is I've done segments on different parts of the space program. So that's kind of cool. And that's really hard, too, because you're trying to take 10 or 15 years of developments and squeeze them down into about 10 minutes of, like, hey, this is important, and look at this. You should bring in that dried space food. Yeah, I don't know. One thing that I'm really glad for that I could not have done 10 years ago is I show a lot of clips of stuff on YouTube. Yeah. Mm. So they get an idea. So when you hear, so for example, I actually showed them the clip of Kennedy's inaugural to try to make the point that, well, yeah, nowadays the revisionist people say he's some kind of proto hippie and was live and let live. But if you, if you listen to the bear any burden, support any friend, whatever, oppose any foe, he's actually a pretty fierce cold warrior there. And he's basically saying, you know, if you don't support freedom, we're going to kick the crap out of you. So it's very interesting. Kind of getting that context. But yeah, nothing specific to ask. Just uh, begging a greater appreciation of your history if you're an American and uh, and I guess an appreciation of world history if you are not in the United States. And an appreciation of due dates if you're one of your students. Yes, always an appreciation of due dates and And correct citations. And film strips. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right, very good. Um, I am going to talk about uh, a consumer electronics gadget that is coming out uh, soon um, that uh, I had the opportunity to play with ahead of its release. It is called the Apple Watch. It's made by a small company in Cupertino, California. Um, Obviously, I am being a little sarcastic. Uh, You've probably heard of the Apple Watch, even if you're not interested in it or that familiar with it. But I did go and try them on and played with them in the store. And, uh, you know, it was fun. I'm really looking forward to getting my hands on one in person, um, or getting my hands on my own, I should say. Um, But, uh, yeah, they do a nice job there at the Apple Store for people that are interested. They have a whole special section set up where... uh, they let you go and try on all the different watch bands because they're, uh, for those that don't know, the company has made a ton of different uh, variations and versions of different bands, um, made of different materials, different styles uh, to go along with this product. And so they've devised this rather elaborate plan uh, for letting people try that stuff on and picking what is good for them. Um, and I was impressed. They did a really nice job at the store trying to navigate that stuff. So. Uh, for those that are interested in the Apple Watch, you can go to the Apple Store and see them for yourself. They will be in people's hands starting next week, though they're pretty significantly backordered at this point. Um, do you think these things fun. are? Do you think these things are going to be banned at the casino table? God, I hope not. Can you imagine? Why, why you can be? sit there with your finger on the screen and you tap yeah. for. Uh, yeah. Just a regular click, and you force touch for a plus one, and you can do your little card counting, and then the thing starts buzzing on you when it's, uh, you know, the count is plus eight or whatever. Yeah, it's it's true. I seriously hope that no one in gaming enforcement hears this podcast 
And um, <laughs> is that the new I, app you're working on? I'm, I'm cutting this part of the show out. I don't want you to give anybody any ideas. Um, of, yeah, I mean, like a lot of other technology, you can use it to break the law uh, if you so choose. Um, I think it would probably be pretty obvious that maybe you could find a way to do it under the table. But you could probably do that with an iPhone too. So I don't know. I yeah. I just wanted to chime in. There was a time when um, cell phones were, I don't want to say illegal. I don't know if there was in the law, but definitely most casinos wouldn't let you have a cell phone in a casino. So I think that if it's the kind of thing that 10 people from Silicon Valley own this, yeah, they probably would be freaked out if somebody pulled one out of the table. But if it's the kind of thing, yeah, where everybody has one, there's no way they're going to tell, you know, if this is the next big thing and even 10% of the people walking through the doors have them, there's no way that they could ban that, you know, because the average casino has what, like 20,000 people walking through it. Right. So if that's 10% of that is 2000 people, they're going to throw out every day. Yeah. I think don't see it happening. <laughs> you're right, Dave. I think it comes down to the market and, uh, it will, if it becomes an unstoppable force, then they are going to get in line, not try and push against the ocean. All right, that's it. That's it for today. Um, please don't forget to rate the show on iTunes. Um, it helps us out. Also, if you want to leave a comment about the show, you can go to VegasGangPodcast.com and leave your comments there. Um, if you want to email us, it's 500 at gmail.com for complaints and concerns. <laughs> um, or you can reach us at on Twitter. Uh, the Twitter handle for the show is at VegasGang. Um, that's it for today. Thanks to you guys for being here. Let me go around the table one more time so you can tell people where they can find you. Dr. Dave, if people want to uh, see more of what you're doing other than being in your class, where can they go? That's a good question. I think uh, UNLV Gaming <laughs> on Twitter and uh, ggschwartz.com where they can find all my insightful columns on Las Vegas and gambling. Perfect. Uh, Check Monster, what about you? Where can people find you? Uh, you know, I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where they could find me. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I will encourage everybody to go follow Vimp, V-I-M-F-P, on Twitter, where we will be announcing our host property for 2015, Wednesday at 10.16 a.m. Nevada Standard Time. And that's it. Have a good weekend. <laughs>